Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff. Today, I want to do a who's number one recap. This past weekend was insane. The who's number one grappling championship was the best grappling event I've ever watched. I think I watched 14 hours of grappling this weekend, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Some of those matches were instant classics, and they're going to be matches that I watch for years to come. I got a lot of inspiration and things to study after watching the best guys and girls in our sport go at it. And I'm really just hopeful that competitors are finally going to be able to make a living by just competing. I mean, Flow Grappling gave out over $250,000 this weekend. If they can find a way to do this quarterly, it's going to change the game. Now, there's a lot of talking points I want to talk about, but I want to start by talking about my picks because I took a little bit of flack for choosing against Grace Gundry. Now, I did a couple of different countdown shows, and I did an episode on my podcast where I talked about my favorites, who I was picking for each division, and who the dark horses were. Now, in the 115-pound division, I thought it was pretty clear, especially when I saw the brackets, that it was going to be My Sebastos versus Grace Gundry. Now, all week, I was saying that I just didn't think Grace could beat Misa. I thought Misa was the heavy favorite, and I was picking her to win a decision if she met Grace in the finals. Now, I've, this has happened to me a couple of times in the past, but this time, um, you know, I had a bunch of people like, I can't believe you're picking against Grace. I can't believe, uh, you know, you would choose against a 10th planet black belt. You should lose your 10th planet card. Why are you being a 10th planet hater right now? You should always choose with your team. And I know there's people in 10th planet that feel that way. That's like ride or die. It's 10th planet or nothing. If you choose against 10th planet, then you're being whack. You need to really reconsider yada, yada, yada. Look, 10th Planet is humongous, and especially what I'm trying to do, where I'm trying to, you know, I like doing countdown videos. I like doing breakdowns. I want to be an analyst in this sport. Well, I always want to give my honest opinion, regardless of team affiliation. And I've never met Grace Gunter. I've literally never met her. I have zero connection with her other than we're both 10th Planet Black Belts. While I've enjoyed and I love watching her do jujitsu. I mean, I've followed her career since, you know, she was first coming on the scene uh, in those really early EBIs having super fights against other kids. And I think Grace is one of the best technical black belts in the world, regardless of size and gender. I mean, she's phenomenal. I just didn't think she was going to be able to crack the My Sebastos code. And um, again, I, I want to be able to say those things. I want to be able to be open about like, hey, like if I had to bet $1,000 on this match, I want to bet $1,000 on Misa, not Grace. And if that offends some people in the 10th planet sphere, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so I just had to get that out there because, you know, I did take a little bit of flack and I got like one or two messages being kind of like, why are you betting against Grace or why are you, you know, uh, speaking against Grace or, or saying that she can't beat Misa? Um, I'm just always trying to give, again, my honest opinion on these matches, and I was wrong. I happened to be right about Misa beating Grace by decision. The match went how I kind of thought it would. Um, Grace had a phenomenal tournament, but, um, again, she ended up losing a decision to Misa. Um, I thought Kynan Duarte was the heavy favorite. I thought Kynan was going to smoke Tim, Frig Tim Spriggs. I was wrong about that, you know. So, anyways. I want you guys to always know you can expect me to at least give my honest opinion at, regardless of team affiliation. I'm not going to just pick a 10th planet person because they're a part of, you know, 10th planet and I'm a black belt in 10th planet. Anyways, 
back to the event, man, some wild, wild matches. There were a couple of huge upsets. The, the two biggest, well, I should say there was three huge upsets. Gabby Garcia losing in the first round to Amanda Levy. And if you look, um, I can't remember who posted a picture of them. I mean, Gabby Garcia looks 60, 70 pounds, 80 pounds bigger than the rest of the girls in this division. And at the weigh-ins, there was a huge controversy. Um, and Amanda Levy, her opponent, called Gabby out and Flo Grappling out. That she was like, hey, why didn't Gabby Garcia have to weigh in? And I guess in Gabby's contract, whenever she does uh, you know, events with Flo Grappling, she has it in her contract where she doesn't have to weigh in, which I think is absolute bullcrap. And the other girls in her division felt the same way. They're like, how come we have to weigh in? Everybody gets to know our weights, but Gabby doesn't have to weigh in. Why is that? It doesn't make any sense. And so it got a little heated at you know, the, the weigh-ins and the press conference. And Amanda came out there and dominated Gabby. She did something no other girl's done. I mean, Gabby's lost in the past before, but she's never been dominated. And Amanda Levy dominated her. She took her back multiple times. I mean, she made Gabby look like just a giant blue belt. It was amazing to watch. Now, while she didn't get the finish, I mean, she had two insanely deep rear naked chokes, like two different back takes where she got a fully locked in rear naked choke, and Gabby just had those big paws of hers on the choking arm. That was all that was saving her from being choked. I mean, that's a match that I'll remember for the rest of my life, and I know (laughs) Amanda Levy will. I mean, she's going to become known for that match. And while she didn't end up winning the event, I mean, she made one of the biggest statements from this past weekend. It's making me wonder about Gabby Garcia as well. She has not improved her jujitsu. She has always relied upon being the bigger and stronger athlete. And these girls now are starting to pass her technically. Like they're so far ahead of her technically that she's really struggling now to compete with them which is kind of shocking because five years ago, it was like Gabby Garcia never lose. Now, especially what I've seen at the past few events and especially at this who's number one event, I think it's going to be very difficult for Gabby to compete at the highest level. She just doesn't have the technique to compete with high-level female black belts that are closer to her size. And again, while most of these women were probably 60, 70, 80 pounds lighter than her, um, they could still deal with her size and their technique was enough there was enough of a gap between amanda's technique and gabby's where she was able to dominate her i mean gabby sat guard and her guard was just just wasn't good and it it just really makes me think that gabby has been training her strengths all these years and she's never really spent the time to learn um, technical jujitsu which has been the criticism of a lot of big people, right? Like there's a lot of big people in jiu-jitsu. You'll hear small people always go, oh, big people aren't technical. And that's not true at all. There's definitely some phenomenal technicians that are bigger. But we all know a grappler that relies on strength and size and their athleticism to win. And it just, that's what it looks like Gabby's done for years. And it came to bite her in the butt this past weekend. The other big upset, or I guess there's two more big upsets, one being Mikey Musumichi. Mikey Musumichi losing in the first round, getting passed and submitted by Gabriel Souza. No one saw that coming. I thought when I saw the brackets that Flo Grappling was setting up the rematch, Mikey versus Gio. Gio had Kolobati, Mikey had Gabriel Souza, 
I thought that both those guys were a shoe in to, to move to the semifinals to face each other. And I'm sure that's what Flow Grappling was expecting. Well, they both ended up losing. Gio lost um, you know, a decision to Cole Abate. Cole looked absolutely amazing. But the bigger story and the huge upset was Mikey getting passed and submitted. Gabriel Souza dominated Mikey. He passed his guard twice, settled into to the side control position, moved to north-south, and north-south choked Mikey Musumichi. I mean, people couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was watching. First, we saw Gabby get absolutely dominated by Amanda. And then later on in the 155-pound division, we have Mikey getting submitted by Gabriel Souza. I mean, that right there made the weekend just made the weekend legendary. But the fact that we had all these matches to go, I mean, both these uh, heavy favorites losing in the first round was, again, just absolutely shocking. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Now... Tim Spriggs delivered the biggest upset. Um, honestly, like he was the biggest underdog of all the divisions. If you looked at the betting lines, Tim Spriggs was the biggest underdog. And supposedly Tim Spriggs, um, just like uh, Grace Gundrum, I mean, Grace has been in college. She's been training only three or four times a week because she's just got, again, all these other life um, you know, priorities. Tim Spriggs supposedly has been doing the same. He's only training three or four times a week right now. And he made it to the finals, and he submitted Kyan Duarte. If you would have bet $100 on Tim Spriggs, you would have won $4,000. He was a huge underdog. I couldn't believe it. I was telling everybody that Kynan was the heavy favorite. Like, going into the tournament, I was like, Kynan's the easiest betting favorite. Like, I would feel like if I had to bet $10,000 on somebody, which I never would in grappling, but if I had to, it would be on Kynan to win the division. And then when I saw he was going against Tim Spriggs, I was just almost laughing to myself like, oh, my God, this is the easiest match that Kynan's had all year. I mean, he's going to dominate Tim Spriggs. Well, Tim Spriggs came out there and heel hooked, did an outside heel hook from the reaping position on Tim Spriggs. And it's kind of a flow that we do. We've practiced at 10th Planet Decatur. And it's a flow that Donna here showed, I believe, on his leg locking DVD, where you're kind of going from Ashi to the reap, and then you're rolling and finishing on the backside of the roll. And it was a deep heel hook. I mean, Kynan had to, had to tap or he was getting his leg broke. I mean, Tim Spriggs, a big, powerful athlete. I can't imagine that guy ripping on a heel hook, um, you know, and just trying to eat that. He definitely would have broke uh, Kynan's leg really bad. But Kynan, Kynan tapped really quick, still won $15,000. But Tim Spriggs walked away as the heavyweight champion. Just could not believe. And I think people are still blown away that Tim ended up winning that division. And it's kind of funny because Gordon had talked the day before about how Kynan has a tendency to fall asleep at times. To fall asleep and get leg locked. And that's exactly what happened. But I just didn't think Tim Spriggs would do it. And Tim Spriggs afterwards said he just started training leg locks, that he started adding in, adding uh, them into his game a couple of months ago. And he finished two leg locks this week, and he beat Haseem Rita in a match that Haseem, I thought, was clearly winning. And he ended up winning with like a minute left. Like Haseem put him in 50-50, and he was going for Tim Spriggs' leg. And Tim defended, and he caught – Haseem Rita with an inside heel hook, but that's a match that I thought he was he was going to lose if he didn't get the submission, and he did. Then he beat Tex Johnson in a very close decision. I probably would have given it to Tex Johnson, and then he tapped Kynan. I mean, 
unbelievable. So those three matches right there were just wild and uh, some of the biggest upsets in grappling history, like in Brazilian jiu-jitsu history. Those are three huge upsets that people will remember for a very long time. Now, the biggest talking point when we're talking about champions is we got to talk about Atos, but particularly the Rutolos. I told you guys all this week when I was on my podcast, whenever I talked about it on somebody else's, um, I thought it was going to be the weekends of the Rotolos. I thought the Rotolos were going to come out of this as the biggest stars. Now, they had two tough divisions. I mean, Cade, the 155-pound division was absolutely stacked. In the 185-pound division, a lot of people were saying that was the difficult, the most difficult to call. I mean, there were a lot of guys from Thor to Dante Leon to Mika Galvao, Roberto Jimenez, that people were saying could beat Ty. A lot of people were picking Roberto, and um, there were even some people choosing Mika or, again, one of those old heads of Dante Leon or Thor. But I thought the Rotolos, again, were going to come out there and they were going to show everybody that they're, ne- that they're the next level, that they're the future of the sport, and that they are the two most exciting grapplers in the game. And that's exactly what they did. Ty and Cade are special. They are, by far, in my opinion, the two guys the sports really needs to build uh, itself around. They're incredibly humble. They're incredibly um, just great, great human beings. And they are just insanely exciting. I mean, all of their matches are must-watch. They're the type of guys that you can show your friends that don't do jiu-jitsu. You can show, hey, I want you to watch this Cade Rutolo match. And they're going to get into it. And... These kids, man, they're 18 years old. They're still brown belts because they can't be promoted to black until they're 19, or at least Andre Gaval is not going to promote them until they're 19. And, I mean, they've established themselves as the number one guys. I mean, Craig Jones at 185, and he's beaten Ty. He's the number one guy until Ty beats him. But Ty said, he was like, man, I weighed in at 171. Like, I'm nowhere near the biggest guy in this division. And he looks small out there. Mika Gaval definitely looked bigger than him. Thor and John Blank and Jacob Couch, like all those guys looked a good 15, 20 pounds bigger than uh, Ty Rutolo. But Ty, man, he came out there, submitted his first two opponents, submitted Dante Leon with an arm in guillotine. In his first match, um, he hit this flying Darsh choke that was, my opinion, the best sub of the tournament, either his, uh, either that sub or Grace Gundrum's twister on Jessica Khan. I mean, those were the two best subs of the tournament, but... I loved that Darce by Ty, so I'm giving that the nod. Um, but, man, you know, these kids are, they're, again, what, who we need to build uh, the future of jiu-jitsu around when it comes to trying to get it mainstream. Like, they need to be the marquee guys on all of the big events. We need to set up super fights for them. We need to get people to see them because I really think that they will kind of inspire the next generation, inspire people that don't grapple to think about starting grappling. I mean, they're just so fun to watch. Now, the young the young guns, I mean, did phenomenal. I mean, the new guard that's coming along is really starting to kind of kick out the old guard, right? We saw a lot of these older grapplers um, not perform as well this weekend. 
Now, most of the young talent was in the smaller divisions. I mean, we saw, again, Misa Bastos versus Grace Gundrum. I mean, Misa's 23. Grace, I believe, is 19, maybe 20. I know she's 19 or 20. We saw in the finals of the 185-pound division, Mika's actually younger than Ty. So Ty's 18, Mika's 17. In the finals of the 155, Gabriel Souza was 23, I believe, and Cade Rutolo's 18. The finals of the 135, we had some older grapplers, I believe. Well, Kendall was, I say older, Kendall was 23 or 24, and uh, her opponent from Atos, um, Jafiela Guetta, was 29, I think. So we're looking at all grapplers under the age of 30, but most of them being in their really early 20s or even in their teens still. I was just thinking a lot about 2019 ADCC, how much the landscape has changed. We saw a lot of the guys in 2000, like Gordon was like the young guy, the young brash, like he was the guy. Now, obviously, Ty Rotolo was 15 and he had a great showing in 2019 ADCC, but he's really established himself as the number one guy. He is um, one of the big players in this sport, but... A lot of the guys that did really good in ADC 2019 and the style that they played, kind of that wrestle heavy, kind of that stall for an advantage or get two points and run away, kind of that style, that's gone. All of these young guys from William Tackett to Mika Galvao to Cade and Ty Rutolo for Grace Gundrum, Misa Bastos, uh, Kendall Rusing, I mean, the list goes on and on. They all have fast-paced and aggressive jiu-jitsu they're all looking for the finish and it's really really fun to watch and i'm just so happy that the young generation has taken their time to learn all aspects of jiu-jitsu I mean, they all can leg lock like kolobate kolobate came out there and looked like he had been part of the dds for 10 years i mean his leg locks were phenomenal this kid's 16 year old blue belt and he beat Gio martinez in a great match Gio did great uh, but Colabate definitely edged him and had the better attacks. And so he beats Gio Martinez, who's 34 years old, I think, and Colabate 16. Like the new generation is here. The next generation is here. And they're here to change jujitsu. And I love it. You know, I, I think that we really need to kind of start studying these young, um, you know, kids. And we need to find ways to uh, kind of adapt some of the things that they're doing, and we need to make it accessible to everyone training. Because it's easy to kind of watch some of these guys and go, and guys and gals, and go, oh, well, they're just super flexible, or they're super athletic, or they're willing to risk their body. But um, technically, again, these, these kids and, and uh, young adults are, are doing uh, techniques, uh, they're innovating techniques, and they're combining techniques in a way that we've never really seen before. So I'm just super excited for next year's ADCC to see how these kids continue to evolve and what the jiu-jitsu looks like, particularly between the 2019 ADCC championship and the 2022. I think we're going to see just a whole nother level of grappling, and we're going to see the next generation of champions at ADCC. Now, there's a couple of criticisms I have, and the biggest being some of these competitors, man, they've got to get over themselves. They've got to kind of drop the pride, and they got to stop acting like they're too good to compete because there were a bunch of people that dropped out, and I think they, um, you know, we as the fans deserve to know why some of these people dropped out. Now, Gio Martinez 
clearly looked like he had hurt his knee a little bit in some of those leg exchanges with Cade. Um, with Cade. Uh, excuse me, not Cade, but Colabate. Um, you know, there were a bunch of people like Mason Fowler. He pulled out due to an eye injury. Like he went to the hospital. Um, Colabate. I heard there were two pops that I heard. One was from a sock lock. One was from a toehold. The one from the toehold sounded like a gunshot. Now he kept continuing that match and he lost a super close decision to Gabriel Souza, but he pulled out. So the thing was for third place, they had a, uh, you had a chance to wrestle back. So even if you lost your first match, you could do a consolation match and you could work your way. If you won, you could work your way to where you won uh, yourself all the way back to fighting for third place. But a lot of guys just didn't compete. There were so many people that dropped out. Tex Johnson dropped out. No idea why Tex Johnson dropped out. Um, there were uh, who else dropped out? Colabate dropped out. But like I said, his was uh, you know injury. Um, but again, like Mikey Musumichi, like why did he drop out? He got guard passed and choked. Like I just didn't see anything in there that led me to believe that he got injured. Now maybe he got injured. So I don't want to like accuse him, but I just want to hear him come out and say why he didn't compete. Did he just not compete because he was disappointed in his performance and he didn't think it was worth him coming back and fighting for third place? Because I think that's what a lot of these people's reasons. They're just like, eh, third place is $7,500. I don't really want to do it, so I'm going to just withdraw. And it kind of ruined uh, the second day. Like I was really looking forward to watching Mikey come back and try and earn third place. He was supposed to have that match with Gio. Both of them had dropped out. He could have had a match with uh, Cole Bate, but again, Cole dropped out. And again, like I said, I think Cole and Gio's was injury-based. Um, but Mikey, I don't know why. Tex Johnson, I'm not, again, I'm not sure why he dropped out. Uh, Gabby Garcia pulled out. Anna Carolina pulled out. I have no idea why, why Gabby pulled out, why Anna pulled out. Um, and I, I just think for like events like that, like you sign the contract, like you should do those matches. Like if you're supposed to do, um, you know, again, for a lot of them, like Gabby, she only did one match. It's not like she did six matches and then we're asking her to do a seven. It's like, look, you did one match on one day. The next day you can't come back and try and fight for third. It kind of ruined that third place storyline. And I just, I, I would hope and I want, flow grappling to, um, you know, kind of just ask these athletes, like, why didn't you compete? And if they don't give a good reason, um, you know, I think we should definitely put them on blast a little bit. Because, I mean, this was a professional event. This is an event that a bunch of us, you know, spent our money on and spent our time watching. The least they can do is give, the athletes can give their best effort um, in every single match that they are supposed to be in. So that was the big criticism I had. Um, I thought the the stream itself was was really good, and I really enjoyed um, kind of flow. And even the referees were getting onto the athletes if they were stalling, or if they were backing up, or if they were playing timid. It was fascinating because in the final of Tai uh, Tolo versus uh, Mika Galvao in the 185 pound division, I mean the ref was audibly getting on to both Tai and. Mika, he was telling them that they were embarrassing themselves, that all these people were watching, that they needed to, you know, really uh, improve their work rates. He was telling Ty that Ty's not trying to pass. Like, he was getting on to them. I had never heard that, and I think that's what we need. And 
I didn't think that match was as boring. I mean, there were some more boring matches, particularly in the heavyweight division. There was a couple of matches that were kind of hard to watch. Um, but Flow Grappling, whether it was the analysts or the people calling the matches, they did a great job of going like, hey, like, we need to see more. Hey, this athlete is stalling. They're running away. They're not doing what they need to do. They're not being excited. Flow Grappling told the athletes that, hey, your main job is to be exciting and to put on great matches. And for the most part, 90% of the matches were very fun to watch. There were just a couple of them that were kind of hard to watch. But the refs did a great job of, again, really getting the matches to move along and to get excitement in the matches. I mean, they would tell athletes and they would penalize athletes for stalling or for backing away. Um, and again, the announcers did a great job of calling out athletes if they weren't engaging and weren't trying to find the submission. And I love that. I just, I think the sport needs more of that. And I think, you know, athletes have to be able to take a little bit of criticism, especially if their style is, or the, the grappling that they're performing isn't fun to watch if they're not pushing towards a submission, if they're not pushing towards advancing. Um, I think they should be uh, able to accept the criticism, um, you know, win or lose, they should be able to kind of hear that criticism and then go back to the lab. And, and hopefully the next time we see them, they can have a more a style that's more engaging and more fun for the fans to watch. Um, I think the five big stars, so if I had to pick five people that became stars this weekend um, or that really like showed out that we didn't expect I mean I've already kind of mentioned um, you know the Rutolos were the biggest winners this weekend they were the two like my two stars particularly Cade Rutolo he finished all three of his opponents and he looked incredible um, his brother also you know two of the big stars um, there um, I thought Grace Gundrum was a huge star. I mean, that twister she hit is one that will be watched for years to come, and it'll definitely be on all the Who's number one highlights for, again, years to come. As this event grows bigger and bigger, I mean, the first twister and the way that she put Jessica in that twister will be, again, remembered forever. Um, so those are like three big ones. Gabriel Souza made a huge name for himself tapping Mikey Musumichi with the north-south choke, then beating the young upstart in Kolobate and making it to the finals. Now, a name that I didn't expect a lot of that, look, that looked phenomenal, that ended up winning third place, um, was Diego Pato. Diego Pato came out of nowhere. Now, I knew Diego was really good. I had seen him tap Joshua Cisneros at, uh, I believe it was Pans. He tapped... Um, he tapped Joshua Cisneros with a really slick knee bar, but he looked absolutely phenomenal. I mean, he gave Cade a great match. That was probably Cade's toughest match of the weekend, but he ended up submitting his next two opponents, and he won third place. And it was a much-deserved third place. I was really happy to see him get third place. So those, and then obviously Tim Spriggs, I mean, who would have thought Tim Spriggs was going to win that heavyweight division? I mean, if you did and you put some money on it, you made a lot of money. So those people right there killed it. Um, now, some people that kind of ended up losing uh, stock, like their stocks are down, um, Roberto Jimenez. Roberto came out there and a bunch of analysts, and I had said on the podcast that, yes, like Roberto – if he gets the right bracket, he could win. Like, he's the guy that can beat Tyra Toll. I don't see anybody other than Roberto uh, 
anybody other than Roberto beating Ty. But Roberto got a leg locker in his first match. Jacob Couch came out there and looked amazing. He tapped Roberto with some beautiful leg lock transitions. I mean, he looked awesome. So Roberto's got this hole, man. He's got to fix it. This has been his weakness for a few years now, and he just he's gotten better at defending legs, but he's still not where he needs to be. He's got all the talent in the world to be the best, the number one guy at 185. He just needs to fix this hole. So his stock drops a little bit. He's definitely going to go down a few spots in the rankings. Obviously, Gabby Garcia, I thought kind of Duarte underperformed, and he really didn't look like he took all the matches too seriously. I mean, he really just tried to coast through. He didn't try and finish anybody. Um, he wasn't pushing for the submission. He, he just, again, he looked very... Um, Kind of, he looked lazy. He grappled lazy. He grappled like he was trying to do the least amount to win. He won two comfortable decisions, but I want to see you push for push for submissions, especially when people are saying that you're the best guy if Gordon's not competing. Now, after his performance this weekend, that's definitely not the case. He's going to drop down in the rankings. He's definitely dropped down in mine. Um, Mikey Musumichi, I, Mikey definitely. The hype has been stopped. I mean, he got dominated by Gabriel Sousa. Got passed twice, got choked. Um, Nogi Mikey, I mean, while he's the 135 and 145-pound number one guy, I mean, Gabriel Sousa is a 145-pound guy. I mean, he competed at Emerald City at 145. It's not like he was way bigger than Mikey. I mean, I bet he was five pounds bigger. So that was a huge, huge, huge upset and Again, definitely drops Mikey a couple spots in my mind in that no-gi ranking. Um, Gio Martinez. I mean, Gio's Gio, while I love and think that Gio is one of the best grapplers in the world, he's just been losing a couple of decisions recently. He's lost a couple now. He just lost to Cole Abate. Cole looked like one of the best uh, 155ers in the world, so he lost to a legit monster. But... He's lost now to, you know, lost a decision to Colbate, lost a decision to Mikey. And Mikey getting dominated by Gabriel Souza uh, kind of makes me wonder how Gio would have done against Gabriel Souza. But Gio kind of needs to find a way to, um, he needs to find a way to start submitting people again. I get it. He's facing the best guys in the world, but I haven't seen Gio submit somebody in a few years now. Um, I'd like to see Gio kind of go back to the drawing board. I'd like to see him do, um, you know, maybe some a tournament like Emerald City. I'd like to see him face an unranked guy. He's just been facing the best in the world. I want to see him fight some dudes, um, you know, really go out there in a format and with, uh, you know, guys that, you know, that aren't in the top 10 or aren't in the top 25 at 145. I want to see him go out there and get some submissions. Um, but he was the smallest guy in this bracket, so can't be too hard on Geo. What's shocking is, is he weighed less than Mikey. He ended up weighing 147 pounds, didn't have to cut any weight. I mean, that's his walk-around rate. So I'll be excited to see Geo back at 145 to see how he does with guys more his size. Um, other than that, um, everybody performed pretty well. Oh, Orlando Sanchez. I knew there was one more that, that I was – that had really lost uh, uh, and really should uh, drop a bunch of spots in the rankings, and that's Orlando. Orlando did not look good. First, he was complaining about not uh, or having to wear a rash guard. He wanted to not wear a rash guard. 
Um, he wore a rash guard his first match against Tex Johnson. He gets triangle choked, and as he's getting triangle choked, he picked up Tex off the ground and slammed him. And now he knew that he cannot, like he could not slam, but he did it anyways. It was kind of disgusting to watch because Orlando could have seriously hurt Tex. And while I'm not the biggest Tex Johnson fan, I don't ever want to see somebody get picked up and slammed, especially when it's against the rules. But Orlando kind of had this, uh, I think he ended up, he said afterwards, he was like, I was defending jujitsu's honor because Tex is a bad guy and he's a bad representative of the sport which I thought was just hilarious because Orlando's had just, has had just as many incidences as Texas had over the years. And while he hasn't been kicked out of as many places, I mean, he's definitely uh, had some, some bad moments, and he's definitely not the guy I want defending jiu-jitsu's honor. His second match, he fought Hasim Rita in the third-place match, and he just kind of gave up. Hasim took his back, and... He gave up. I mean, Hasim put in a face crush, and he didn't even really try and defend. He just tapped right away. Um, he definitely lost a bunch of, uh, you know, I'm definitely not betting on Orlando Sanchez. He His stock is way down, in my opinion. Hope you guys enjoyed the event. If you didn't see it, you really should go back and watch some of those matches. If you want to, and you really want to master grappling, you want to become the best you can be, I just don't see at this point how you cannot have a Flow Grappling account. Flow Grappling has the best grapplers competing regularly. There's just so much study footage. There's so many things that I'm excited to try and work on after this event, the big one being the Darce Choke. The last thing I want to say is that the Darce Choke, watching Cade and Ty, the way they use the Darce, the way they finish it, it's made me want to spend a bunch of time now mastering the Darce. It's a movement that I haven't really practiced a bunch over the past couple of years. I have a very good Darce at Purple Belt. I spent a lot of time working on it, and I finished a couple of black belts with a Darce um, you know, as I've competed. So I know that I've got like a black belt level Darce where I can beat black belts in competition with it, but I am very far away from being at the level that the Rotolos are at it, and I'm excited to add some of their tricks that they displayed this weekend. Till next time, guys, I've got a couple of interviews coming up this week. I think you're going to really enjoy them. Stay tuned. Peace.